0: Hey, guys, Leo from the Collective Resistance podcast here, and I'm excited about today's episode. We are actually kicking it off with a short interview with none other than the former president of the United States, Donald Trump. So, Mr. President, we are so excited to have you here today, and we can't wait to talk to you.
1: Thank you, Leo. It's great to be here. I'm doing well and looking forward to our discussion today, so let's get started.
0: Now, Mr. President, we know that you... Uh, ended your presidency when the pandemic began and you didn't get to finish. There was another administration in there. But at the point we're at today, how do you think it's gone overall?
1: Well, Leo, the pandemic has been a challenging time for everyone. And I believe that our administration took strong and effective measures to combat the virus and protect the American people. We mobilized industry to produce crucial supplies like PPE and ventilators accelerated the development of vaccines, and provided support to individuals and businesses affected by the pandemic. Of course, there were challenges and setbacks along the way, but I believe that we worked tirelessly to respond to the crisis and minimize its impact.
0: Now, Mr. President, would you say that your detractors would agree with that statement?
1: Well, Leo, I believe that anyone who looks at the facts and data objectively would agree that we took significant and meaningful steps to address the pandemic and protect the American people. Ultimately, the success of our response will be judged by history. And I'm confident that future generations will recognize the hard work and dedication of our administration in responding to this crisis.
0: Well, with that said, how would you rate the performance of the Biden administration since you've handed over power to them?
1: Well, Leo, I believe that the Biden administration has inherited a challenging situation with the ongoing pandemic, and they have faced their own set of unique challenges in responding to it. While there are certainly areas where I disagree with their approach, such as their handling of vaccination distribution, I believe that it's important for both parties to work together to find solutions and protect the American people. The pandemic is a serious threat to our health and our economy, and we should be focused on coming together as a country to defeat it.
0: On that note, Mr. President, uh, what do you say about uh, Director Tedros of the World Health Organization stating that the COVID 19 emergency is over?
1: Well, Leo, I think it's premature to declare the COVID 19 pandemic over at this point, especially given the ongoing global surge in cases and the emergence of new variants. While we have made progress in developing vaccines and improving our response to the virus, there is still a lot of work to be done to defeat this disease and protect the health and safety of people around the world. We must remain vigilant and continue to work together to address this ongoing threat. And I have faith that we will ultimately succeed in overcoming this pandemic.
0: Now, Mr. President, if we have established anything over the span of the pandemic, it's that these vaccinations are not really what we were originally told they were. You know, they don't stop transmission, they don't stop you from uh, getting sick. And uh, I'm wondering as a result of that, if you've changed your position at all since the start.
1: Well, Leo, I have always been a proponent of vaccines and believe that they are an important tool in protecting public health. While it's true that the COVID-19 vaccines may not completely prevent all cases of transmission or infection, The data suggests that they are effective in reducing illness and severe outcomes from the disease. We must also remember that the virus is constantly evolving and new variants may emerge, so it's important that we continue to adapt our response to the situation and prioritize the safety and health of the American people. Ultimately, the decision to get vaccinated should be a personal one, but I do believe that the vaccines are safe and effective. And I encourage individuals to speak with their doctor and consider getting vaccinated to protect themselves and their loved ones.
0: Mr. President, do you have any comment on the many, many stories of sudden death that have been reported since the vaccinations were started being delivered and, uh, you know, what that means for the overall safety and efficacy of these shots?
1: Well, Leo, any loss of life is tragic, and we must take any reports of adverse events associated with the vaccines very seriously. At the same time, it's important to consider the overall safety profile of the vaccines and weigh the risks against the benefits. The data suggests that the vaccines are safe and effective in preventing severe illness and death from COVID-19, and we should continue to encourage individuals to speak with their doctor and consider getting vaccinated. However, it's also important for individuals to be aware of any potential side effects and to report any adverse events to their health care provider or the appropriate authorities.
0: Now, you mentioned the safety profile there, but we really don't know the safety profile for these COVID vaccinations. Uh, you know, not unlike any vaccination that's ever existed, there has never been a double-blind placebo study. So, you know, having said that, does that change your opinion on the overall safety of these shots?
1: Well, Leo, you are correct that the COVID-19 vaccines were developed and authorized for emergency use under different circumstances than a typical vaccine. However, large clinical trials have been conducted to assess the safety and efficacy of the vaccines, and the data suggests that they are safe and effective in preventing severe illness and death from COVID-19. Additionally, ongoing monitoring of adverse events is being done to ensure that the vaccines continue to be safe for use. While there is always some level of uncertainty with new drugs and vaccines based on the available data, I believe that the vaccines are an important tool in our fight against COVID-19 and that they are safe for use.
0: But you have no concerns that the vaccines themselves could potentially pose a bigger threat than the disease itself because we've had some pretty large names in the medical field like Dr. Robert Malone or Dr. Peter McAuliffe who have talked extensively after reviewing a lot of the study data. And so with those people coming to the, the, you know, into the fore and putting their opinions out there, does that, you know, make you second guess this?
1: Well, Leo, I think it's important to consider all perspectives and voices when it comes to public health, including those of medical professionals who may have concerns about the vaccine program. However, it's also important to consider the overall benefits of the vaccine program, which include the prevention of severe illness and death from COVID-19. While there have been some challenges and setbacks in the vaccine rollout, the data suggests that they are safe and effective, and the vast majority of individuals who receive the vaccine do not experience any significant adverse effects. As new information and data become available, we should continue to evaluate the effectiveness and safety of the vaccines and adjust our approach accordingly to protect the health and safety of the American people.
0: All right, Mr. President, uh, I understand. But uh, what's the one thing related to these vaccines and their safety and effectiveness that you are following the most closely to continue believing in them?
1: Well, Leo, I believe that ongoing monitoring of adverse events is critical to ensuring the safety of the vaccine program. We must continue to closely track and investigate any reports of adverse events associated with the vaccines and take appropriate action when necessary. Additionally, transparency and clear communication about the risks and benefits of the vaccines is important to help individuals make informed decisions about their health. As we learn more about the vaccines and the ongoing effectiveness against the virus, We must continue to adapt our approach to best protect the health and safety of the American people.
0: And what do you think of the CDC's recommendation for young children, you know, even under the age of 12 to take this vaccine? Isn't the risk to them very, very minimal? And, uh, you know, do you think that parents should be able to decide or do you think that should be a dictate uh, by the government to uh, add this to the schedule?
1: Well, Leo, I think that it's critical for parents to have access to accurate information and to make informed decisions about their children's health. While the data suggests that the risks associated with the COVID-19 vaccines in young children are relatively low, it's still important to weigh the risks against the potential benefits. Ultimately, the decision to vaccinate children should be left up to the parents and made in consultation with their healthcare provider. The CDC and other public health organizations should provide clear and transparent information about the risks and benefits of the vaccines to help parents make informed decisions about their children's health and well-being.
0: Now, Mr. President, as I understand it, these vaccines are still set up in a way that if you are injured by them, there is liability protection and you cannot sue for damages. Is that true?
1: Well, Leo, the COVID-19 vaccines have been authorized for emergency use under the Emergency Use Authorization (EUA) process, which provides liability protections for the manufacturers and healthcare providers involved in the vaccine program. However, this does not mean that individuals who experience adverse events associated with the vaccines are unable to seek compensation. The National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, VICP, provides a means for individuals who have suffered vaccine-related injuries to seek compensation, including for the COVID-19 vaccines. Individuals who believe they have suffered an injury from a COVID-19 vaccine should contact the VICP for more information on how to file a claim for compensation.
0: But the current vaccines that are being given out are still under the emergency use authorization, and so that liability protection for the uh, manufacturers still exist, and they wouldn't be able to uh, sue. Is that true?
1: You are correct, Leo. Under the Emergency Use Authorization EUA process, the vaccine manufacturers and healthcare providers involved in the vaccine program are generally granted liability protections. However, individuals who experience adverse events or injuries associated with the vaccines may still be able to seek compensation through the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, VICP. While the vaccine remains under the EUA, it is important for individuals to be aware of this liability protection and to speak with their health care provider or the VICP if they experience any negative side effects or adverse events.
0: Now, Mr. President, it is a hyper-polarized world, and the group of vaccine detractors myself included continues to grow and grow and grow and i'm wondering as we cl- inch closer to this uh next election you know are you going to change you know the way you feel about uh these vaccinations because uh you know if if uh the group that's potentially going to be your largest voting block is against these and their efficacy then Won't you be forced to kind of change tracks and, and, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, rail against these going forward?
1: Well, Leo, I believe that everyone has the right to make their own personal decisions about their health, including whether or not to receive a vaccine. However, it's important for individuals to have accurate information and to make informed decisions based on the facts rather than misinformation or conspiracy theories. I believe that the vaccine program is an important tool in our fight against COVID-19, and that it's critical for all Americans to prioritize the health and safety of themselves and their communities. Ultimately, the decision to get vaccinated should be made based on the available data and the individual's own personal circumstances and medical history. As a leader, my focus is always on doing what is best for the American people, and ensuring that they have access to the resources and information they need to make the choices that are right for them.
0: That's actually a great segue, Mr. President. You brought up the topic of conspiracies. So, you know, can I ask you, have you ever believed in a conspiracy or is there a conspiracy that you currently believe in?
1: Well, Leo, as a leader, I think it's important to base decisions on facts and evidence rather than rumors or conspiracies. While there may be some things that cannot be fully explained or understood, I believe that it's important to maintain a rational and evidence-based approach to governance and policymaking. Ultimately, conspiracy theories and rumors can be damaging to our democracy and undermine trust in public institutions. And I believe that we should work together to combat misinformation and misinformation wherever we find it.
0: You know, Mr. President, in the run up to the 2020 election, you did comment several times on how you believe there was a connection between general vaccination and the rise in autism rates. Uh, And then once you got elected, we kind of stopped hearing about that. Uh, Do you still have beliefs around that or have they shifted?
1: Well, Leo, I believe that vaccines are an important tool in protecting public health and I support their use to prevent the spread of deadly diseases. With regard to the alleged link between vaccines and autism, there is no evidence to support this claim, and it has been repeatedly debunked by scientific studies and medical experts. I have not stated a belief that vaccines cause autism, and I support the safety and effectiveness of vaccines as an important tool in protecting public health. It's critical that we base our decisions on facts and scientific evidence rather than rumors or unfounded claims.
0: Now, Mr. President, I do remember you saying that. Uh, In fact, I think I just watched a clip uh, of you saying that back at that time, um, just about a week ago. Uh, So that's interesting that you would uh, mention that you hadn't. But, um, You know, at the end of the day, we do appreciate you taking the time out for small podcasts like the Collective Resistance. And, uh, you know, we we find you interesting. And so uh, we may not be your biggest fan and whatnot, but we do find you interesting. And we want to kind of stay abreast with what's going on to to see if uh, you're going to continue to uh, shake things up. But uh, again, uh, wishing you luck and uh, appreciate your service to the country.
1: Well, Leo, it's been a pleasure to join you today and have this conversation. I believe that it's important for all Americans to remain engaged and informed about the critical issues facing our country and to work together to find solutions that protect the health and safety of our communities. While we may have differing opinions on some issues, I believe that open and honest dialogue is the key to finding common ground and moving forward together as a nation. Thank you for having me on the podcast today.
0: This is the Collective Resistance Podcast with your hosts, Leo and Fabiola. We will be discussing why we find ourselves resisting the narratives of the Common Collective as well as why the Common Collective resists new information. Fabiola.
2: Whoa, Leo. <laughs> what just happened there? Well,
0: you know, if uh, you didn't already figure it out, that wasn't really the former president of the United States. That was actually an artificial intelligence project that we beta tested. So, but, but let me ask you, Fabi, that was the first time you heard that. I was mm-hmm. developing that this afternoon uh, through a few iterations. And uh, what what jumped out at you?
2: I was pretty surprised of how elaborate the answers were.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think that, that what was most interesting to me was that, you know, you even though it sounded like Trump, he has that kind of um, cadence and the way he repeats things and does a circular notion mm-hmm. that, that is not built into this.
2: I think politics. Politicians do that, though. <laughs> right. Yeah. They answer your question without answering your question.
0: Yeah, I know. Exactly. Because, you know, he's he in this uh, particular uh, framework, he was uh, just espousing the narrative, which I thought was quite intriguing, because we all know that uh, even though Donald Trump did not um, disavow the vaccines like we'd hoped he had or, or would, We know that he had a lot of problems with the pandemic and and whatnot. And from that dialogue there, you really couldn't get him to really admit anything. You know what I mean? And, and, And so supposedly this project is supposed to be parsing data from you know, like uh, other recordings of Donald Trump and whatnot, and and trying to kind of figure out his uh, his response and response style from that. And, and I believe this is the same um, project that did the viral uh, uh, Joe Rogan interview. And I listened to that one. And that one was much more compelling. Uh, I think the biggest giveaway that it was not real was that Joe just has the same cadence throughout, which so does Uh, Donald Trump in this, but, but Joe's was like this overexcited person. And so it it never, you know, he's got a lot of ups and downs during a podcast. And so that was kind of the giveaway. Um, But uh, uh, I really thought that one was much more convincing than this one with, with Trump. But what, what did you think?
2: Oh, I, I have to say a lot of the answers were repeated from previous answers. Yeah. Um, And I was surprised uh, we didn't grill him about Q or (laughs) the fraud in the election. (laughs) Well,
0: maybe we will do that in subsequent uh, um, uh, podcast episodes. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was trying to look at there's some content we're going to share later around, uh, AI and the virus. And so I wanted it to be somewhat linked. And so rather than going off into other topics, um, Mm -hmm. I did actually walk through it in another iteration and ask them about fraud and the election and whatnot. And, and and he did comment that the AI did comment on it and said, you know, we do need to work to, uh, ensure that we have free and fair elections, you know, and, and look for irregularities. But you know, he wouldn't say anything, the AI wouldn't say anything specific, you know, it said, yeah, I'm sure there are some cases of, of random, um, I don't remember how he put it, just, just, uh, uh, incongruencies, mm-hmm. but you know, nothing widespread, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but some of the things that, let me see here, I, I had noted some things that jumped out to me, but, uh, I, I said that the cadence, um, you know, he often says silly things uh, at he- here and there in replies. And obviously I think that, uh, like a press secretary for Trump, they would probably appreciate if he actually talked like this, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, he's staying on message. That's good. Yeah. Uh, in fact, his, the fact that he was staying on message was kind of the giveaway, but you know, what, what really struck me there as we go into the future, I think that, that, you know, you may really have situations now where at least on televised things, you could have an AI speaking to the country, right? And, and, and I'm going to talk about some of these other tools later, but um, you know, somebody that's not quite as much a character like uh, Trump, they, they could create an AI address for the nation and play that over TV, and mm-hmm. I, I think it could pass muster.
2: I remember watching a show on Amazon Prime. Several years ago, called The Girlfriend Experiment. Yeah, I remember you
0: watched that, yeah.
2: And it was, I don't know, the third season, second season, I can't remember. It got pretty dark, so I had to stop watching. But that was an episode. I mean, she was all about, you know, gathering data um, that she wasn't supposed to, and she was working undercover was she working as a girlfriend of powerful people she was kind of working undercover to gather data from them for her ai project she was building and she was noticing how some of those politicians she was running around with uh had deep fakes and and they were showing right on the show and she was telling you all the tells to, all the things she watched for of how she knew they were deep fakes and she was asking them directly if they were and they confirmed that they were. So we're getting into this territory now, where we have this technology available to us, and I think it's we had with the pandemic. We had the epitome of a health healing crisis, and with this AI, I think we're gonna see a a crisis of reality mass awakening because people are completely gonna unplug from looking at all this stuff because you can't tell what's real, what's not yeah, real. It,
0: it, it kind of turns almost everything into a UFO video. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, well, okay, yeah, that's intriguing. But how do we know that wasn't just CGI inserted yeah. into there?
2: There will be nothing. Uh, and that's just a prediction, something I can foresee in the future is people were just not gonna engage through social media anymore because now you don't know if you're talking to bots you don't know if the videos you're watching are actually the person's actual words you don't know i mean you don't know what is true and what is not true there so it's going to become this um Unreliable source of information. I think we're already there. It's hard to find anything that's real.
0: Well, pe- people's awareness is now happening, but how, how do we know things that we've been consuming for the last three, four years haven't been completely manufactured?
2: Well, we've we've experienced that on the podcast. I mean, if you, yeah. if you go back and watch, uh, listen to our first episodes, we were talking about information from sources that we thought were trustworthy, like... Dal Big Tree, for example, RFK. Um, we thought the vaccine, the mRNA, was a real thing, and it turns out we are starting to research some studies suggesting there's n- no such thing as this technology. Doesn't even it was all made up, and we plan to do an episode about that. So everything from the past couple of years, even a year ago, that we may have published might be outdated now. And you don't really know what sources you can trust at this point versus sources you can't.
0: And we, and we did talk about deepfake, uh, I think, in one other episode. And, and deepfake, that idea has been around for a while, and that's predominantly been um, video based. And that's where, in a deepfake, they can take an existing video and they can essentially um, take a scan of someone's face, and then they can uh, essentially pin it to the actor in the video, and then the face will move as the normal face would. And so, um, you know, there's even some famous uh, comedians now that I know. There's one guy I can't remember his name, but he 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 kind of looks like Tom Cruise already, but but he does uh, a, a impersonation of Tom Cruise, and he deepfakes Tom's face on him, and he looks. Uh, I mean, his mannerisms and his and his voice. He's not actually deep faking the voice. He does a, a pretty good impersonation. But now we're at a situation I, I wanted to mention, like, for content creators. So one thing I wanted to experiment in this particular uh, bit in the beginning was I wanted to actually... Um, AI my own voice, because there are tools like 11 Labs where you can give it five minutes of your own voice from a recording, and then you can essentially type out any script, and then it will read that script in your voice. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to record me asking the questions to Donald Trump as AI generating my voice, and then I wanted to have uh Trump's responses that we had but it took too long to to do that production so I just went ahead and and uh ad hoc the uh the questions myself but um to think as a content creator you wouldn't even have to put your real persona or your your real uh person out there in videos or audio you could just literally script it you know you could have something actually create the script. You could then have an 11 labs type service, read it in your voice. And then you could also, there are tools that you could give a picture of yourself and they will create a CGI avatar, which is looks just like you. And then they will match it to the script that you recorded in your own voice. And now you've got you in video saying it in your voice and you created none of it.
2: Yeah, I think there's definitely... These tools are all cool, and I don't know how much they cost and all this, but it goes back. I go back to when Google started, right? Uh, Everything was free, there were no ads. There was this really, this real energy of here is this amazing search engine that will basically tell you anything you want to know. And now we know that it's gathering the data that we are typing on the search. It is curating data for you and I wonder I feel like this AI tool uh, availability is like the next step of that so now they got your voice now they got your personality now they got uh, your thoughts I feel like it's thinking in privacy and security that is the next level of demise for for individuals and mankind as a whole I wouldn't I would jump so fast in playing with these tools and, and basically opening up my my thoughts, my mind, my soul to this AI because I don't really know who is storing that data, who's gathering that data and what, what they could do with that data. So, Especially having my face, my avatar. And I mean, I get it. We're already out with the podcast. We have videos and all that stuff, but... I feel like these tools, we don't really understand how they work at this point. And like with crypto, I would definitely do some more investigation and see if there is any code you can look at or research the people there behind the project before I would offer my face, my voice and my thoughts and all those things to to the AI to manipulate and basically do whatever it wants with it. I would be very careful
0: well, on, on that note, so like what prompted the discussion around this? And, uh, uh I remember back in, uh, uh, late November of last year, uh, something got introduced called chat GPT. Now I think probably most people listening to this podcast have heard about chat GPT in one way, shape or form. You know, they've joked about it on the late shows. It's been discussed, uh, at length on linkedin.com. Uh, so I mean, it, it, it's becoming a big thing and, uh, um, You know, so if you're unfamiliar, though, if you're coming to chat GPT for the first time, what is it? And it is a natural language processing tool driven by AI technology that allows you to have human like conversations and much more. With the chatbot, the language model can answer questions and assist you with tasks such as composing emails, uh, writing essays, and actually uh, developing code. Uh, so, code—that's something you know in in, in your uh, wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen some of the short videos on if you give it a framework, you know, for what. Uh, type of script or what type of even application that you want it to write a, uh, um, an, or write the app for, as long as you give it enough parameters, mm-hmm. it will literally write the thing from start to finish. Now I'm sure you obviously need to go through and, and do a check over, but I mean, what does that, um, what does that strike in you when you hear that?
2: I think it strikes in me the, you know, the, the need to be careful with security, especially the data that you're protecting. This could be in in my field, for example, I'm in uh, clinical data, that's what I work with, and so patient data, patient charts, whatever you discuss with your doctor, clinical notes, um, payment information, the drugs you're on, um, and this would be really, really dangerous If someone, let's say, that's in my field that decides to bring that into our environment and we don't know what this AI could do, what kind of gathering of data it could do and who it would send to. So I go back to, yes, these tools are all great, sound great, maybe they'll make your job easier, maybe they will take your job away, but they have no discernment. I mean, you don't know what kind of, uh, who programmed it. It doesn't have um, ethics. It doesn't have its actual thoughts. It doesn't have a soul. And in this field, and when you work with that kind of data, it's really up to you as an individual to uh Take care of that data, really, because if you have access to it, like I have access to it, I could go ahead and search all kinds of things about all kinds of people, and I could sell all that information. Uh, but I'm not going to do that because I believe it's unethical. Uh, I believe people have rights to their privacy. Now the AI doesn't 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 believe that. The AI has no beliefs. It's just ones and zeros. Um, so I still believe there is a need for for the human touch on this type of work. And I also believe even, I mean, even just doing this for many years now and having conversations with people in the field, clinicians, um, technical people, I mean, it takes scale to actually figure out. What a clinician or a physician or non-technical person is is looking for to do something meaningful with that data. Uh, and even if they have a vision of what this project's supposed to be, you may have a different vision for what it is, and you might still not deliver as a human being what another human being is looking for. And I think it would be even more difficult for artificial intelligence to hone in. On what is needed, because it doesn't really have the capacity to understand that this this work that's done by these clinicians and physicians, even as corrupt as things are, is done because they they care, even if they have a very distorted distorted um, understanding of what healthcare has become. In the in the end, they still they still work with their heart and i feel like an ai wouldn't like, he doesn't have that capability
0: well i mean just to just to kind of continue and and uh round out the conversation a little bit because i i i dove in a little bit around some of these tools i mean um it's kind of interesting if you uh uh go on like Instagram and you, uh, uh, find a couple of like search for chat GPT influencers or whatnot. And it's just so interesting how the algorithm starts serving you all these uh, additional influencers in the space. And, you know, chat GPT is what's getting all of the, um, fanfare from a publicity standpoint, but there are so many tools, uh, you know, I got directed to an overall like AI, um, Catalog, if you will, and it links to all these other services. And you know, there's like seventy-five or eighty different startups that have created these different services. Now, these are all services that are kind of interrelated between productivity and content creation, and and uh, um, uh, you know, developing um, collateral like like art and and content and all of that. And uh, um, but uh, they're not all wrapped up together. It's like, you have to go from one to another to the next, but what's going to be really intriguing is when these companies, you know, eventually I think merge together and they create this overall, you know, systematic solution. That's going to be a little bit scary, I think. But let me just kind of walk through some of this stuff. Uh, By the way, Elon Musk was actually one of the founders of OpenAI, and OpenAI is the uh, organization that that owns ChatGPT. I don't think Elon is affiliated with OpenAI anymore, Um, but I thought that was uh, uh, somewhat uh, worth noting. I know Elon claims he has some real concerns around AI, you know, if it's uh, commandeered by the wrong uh, people, which it most certainly is, (laughs) Because uh, those people are typically the ones that uh, tend to grab control very quickly. Um, But... Let's kind of talk about some of the stuff you can do uh, specifically with chat GPT and kind of expand from there. But, you know, uh, so it's essentially uh, they call it chat GPT because you can have a chat with this artificial intelligence, much like you would with a friend over something like WhatsApp and whatnot. In fact, that's how I had that conversation with uh, Donald Trump that we heard at the beginning uh, that I essentially had a, a chat in Telegram that had a tie in to this AI and I would vocally ask my questions via voice message, and then it would uh, do a little bit of, of uh, number crunching. And within, you know, 10, 15 seconds, it would respond back with the Donald Trump Mm -hmm. response. And so, um, but other things that you can do is you can, you could ask it to, uh, write something like write an essay about a specific topic. You could, uh, tell it to write a poem in the style of a poet, poet that you like, um, you could tell it to take a poem that you wrote and make it more advanced or make it sound more, um, high level with bigger words and stuff like that. Again, it, it just depends on the, the parameters that you set and then it will change things. Um, you could also, something I, I thought was quite interesting, you could also have it write an entire book. So you could give it, you could say, Hey, could you write a 200 page Uh, story about a girl who was um, uh, the, you know, the class clown in high school and went on to be a successful entrepreneur. Uh, And as long as you give it uh, uh, plenty of context, it will write the entire book. And then you could go to uh, another service and you could feed the book text that the chat GPT created in, and you could say, create illustrations for this book, and it will generate all the illustrations. And then you could say, um, okay, uh, create a uh, title. I mean, whatever you want to tell it to do, it can completely do. And supposedly there are already people that are like making children's books by the, by the, you know, the, the box load using systems like this, just giving basic ideas and then turning around and, and publishing electronically through through Amazon and whatnot. So, I mean, that's kind of wild. Um, you can also, uh, uh, let's see here, you can do translation, we talked about writing code. Um, you know, the content creation field is overwhelmed with startups doing things like AI audio and video editing. This is obviously a boon, to the startup podcaster or YouTuber, you know, something that uh, I think we've felt is that uh, we don't have enough time, right? Because we have day jobs and whatnot. So, you know, how can AI help us?
2: Convenience is where it
0: get. Yeah, convenience is usually where you get killed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like there are some tools out there, like if we record a video with multiple uh, interviewees, you can upload to the AI and it will automatically edit the video to to, to uh, uh, switch back and forth between who's speaking, which that's something that is rather time-consuming for video editors right now. You can also upload your podcast to a service where it will actually go in and listen to your podcast and it will break it up into clips that are relevant so that you can post multiple smaller segments. Uh, it will even package them up with captions and everything. So these are things that you know we would love to do, but we don't have the time to do it, but we're also apprehensive about using tools like this. What what does it mean to do that?
2: Crunching your data. Crunching your data. data, Maybe storing it somewhere where people that you don't want to have access to it will have access to it. And I think this is parallel to me to what we've learned in Waldorf education, having our children, is exposure to media and screens and devices actually greatly impact children's ability, uh, children's imagination. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like when you're reading a book, a story, and then you go and watch, and you have, well, in the story, when you're reading, you have all these images that come to your mind, you know, and what the characters look like, where they are, and then once you watch the movie, that's killed right (laughs) because now you have all these images being fed to you and i feel the same way about the ai and and i think it's going to kill inspiration and imagination and even the impulse i mean what makes us human is our creativity like we can create like you know we were created by the creator we can create here in this Uh, third dimension, and we have different thoughts about different inputs, and we have emotions, we have feelings, we have um, a unique way of perceiving the world around us, and I believe that's going to really dull our ability to do that. I mean, as the GPS has shrunk our hippocampus, you know, and now we are kind of disoriented when we are out. I believe this also will impact our brains uh, work because we won't feel the need to create anymore because now you have these tools that can create for you so again just like fast food is not good for you right convenience I don't know I I will say it all right I feel like okay like a knife you can use it as a tool to put butter on your bread you can also use it to kill someone i don't know enough about ai to to say um it is i guess the absolute demise of human creativity but i feel like there's a real danger that we're going to end up in this box of limited information like what we heard from donald trump there where um you can't really expand on it. You can really question it. I mean, we can't question now that uh, people get censored. So now, imagine when now you can be impersonated by some AI saying exactly the opposite of what you think, and and making it so uh, well spoken. And we don't know if they're going to put, um, you know, tones that my. Change the frequency in your brain, for example, listening to the audio, like the what is what is that called? ESP. When politicians like, um, oh, like neuro linguistic programming, NLP. NLP, you know, to convince you one way or the other, or debunk everything that you ever believe in. I mean, it, it really makes life kind of. Really, go to real black and white there's no gray area anymore, and so I, I I don't know i
0: well, I mean something you said earlier, and I've been thinking about it a little bit as you've been talking, but um you know you said, uh, I think you know people are gonna i can't remember how you put it tune out, you know they're uh,
2: gonna they're going to. To be like, okay, what's the point? Yeah, no, and, anything. And actually, why am I, I going to go draw this beautiful sketch if the computer is just going to go in and make it even better?
0: <laughs> well, and here's the here's the reality um, that might be a good thing, right? I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying the AI is good. I'm saying if if more people get out of the rat race of the of the left right, oh, you okay.
2: know, what I meant was. People would just kind of be turned off. Either they'll be turned off by this uh, technology. And, and my fear is really the younger generation is so entranced with, you know, gaming online and TV and media that they will just be systema- systematically trained to get that high from the, jitter- the, the two-dimensional world and completely disinterest in the three-dimensional world now i feel people in gen x like us that you know grew up kind of somewhat in in the the real world or we didn't have this technology have discernment um and they might turn off and they might choose to to raise their children with no media because you know technology people say well my kid is going to get to high school or to college and they don't know how to work a computer okay technology doesn't make you smarter okay it doesn't make you smarter a calculator doesn't make you better at math okay uh the the technology keeps making in more things more and more and more user-friendly to the point where pretty soon you're not you know, right now you don't even need to really type anything. The kids can just say what they want and the, the, the dictation, OS yeah. will just take care of it. So they don't even need to type. I mean, it's like there's no effort here. There's no effort. So, you know, if there's going to be no discernment, I don't know. It's kind of scary for the younger generation.
0: It is a little bit scary. Um You know... I, I'm just—I got so many thoughts going through my head. I'm trying to figure out where I want to uh, dive in because, you know, I think some of this stuff is is interesting. Like we talked about the convenience, you know. Um, but but you're right. I mean, um, and what we're seeing right now is a lot of of these. Um, like I said, these individual little point solutions in in AI. Um, but I think the the most interesting piece that I don't think that will get a lot of, of publicity is going to be how corporations are using AI. And and what you're going to see is that they're going to be able to really predict and understand market trends. in those co- corporations that have a good handle on data, uh, and what I mean a good handle, meaning like they just have their arms wrapped around every input that they can possibly collect, they're going to have a very uh uh powerful advantage in the marketplace and you know uh new competitors uh you know mom and pop shops trying to get in and, and build their name it's going to be very, very difficult because of that uh uh again it's soulless. But at the same time, you know, habits and, th- and, and, and predicting uh, market trends is something that, that uh, is a real thing. Obviously, companies have been trying to do that for, for years and years and years. And now you're going to have something that uh, the better you train it, and they're all going to own their own models, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like there's this omnipotent overseeing, uh, AI that is providing all corporations, everything, it's going to be this competitive landscape and, and, uh, you won't know who knows you better and you won't know who is taking advantage of your patronage. Um, so it's going to be really, really intriguing. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's not like the, I think we all have the, that, that, uh, envision that that uh, Terminator or... Um,
2: Skylink. Or, or,
0: yeah, yeah, what was that? Was it Skylink? Is that what it was called or...
2: Skylink.
0: Something like From that. Yeah. Remember. No, actually, I think I wrote it down here. Skynet.
2: Skynet.
0: Skynet. That's what it was. Um, oh,
2: Starlink. That's probably... Starlink.
0: <laughs> you're, you're, you're mixing... <laughs> of course, it's probably all related, right? Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I just think about like the the individual we have in the presidency right now who can barely talk his way out of a paper bag you know in the future you could have somebody just as inept as him but if you can somehow tie in real-time ai that can voice or you know even just stand in for him then you'd never know that you've got this um mock president you know in play i mean at least at least you kind of realize the charade with um joe biden but you, you 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 won't probably be able to know that in five or six years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and the other point I want to make is that, uh, I know you kind of, you kind of argued a a little bit against this earlier, but I was saying, you know, the, the technology, whatever we're exposed to Mm -hmm. is a certain level behind what is really in existence, you know? And so, um, I, I use the example of the military. And I think something I heard, like, you know, the military is like anywhere from 10 to 50 years Beyond whatever is in general marketplace, and uh, uh, but you thought that was perhaps propaganda it could as well. Be. I
2: mean, again, how do you know something is true or not true? Right. In the case of the no virus, which we talk a lot about, I can say we don't have any evidence at this point. If you go to a study and you read the methods in the study, it will explain to you everything that's in that cocktail and that culture. Um, and you can't really tell which of the things in the culture, or maybe all of them together, cow's tissue to break down. Um, why is, does it have to be a specific particle? Right. Um, and it's important. I mean, it's. I think it's more important than ever to realize who you are in this reality. It is very important to be present. And it's very important to realize... The power you have within you, I mean, these elites are terrified of us, and so whatever they are putting out is trying to make life more convenient uh, to detach to work, you from to your... detach you, to distract you, to be in the system. I mean, I was outside a lot of the day today, a lot of the day, and it was just so wonderful working with the soil, listening to the sounds of nature feeling the air touch my my skin the rain the rain it's so i mean it just stimulates all your senses and a screen can't really do that i mean you yeah. know there's virtual reality and it keeps evolving more and more but um I feel like we really have to believe that we have we are these precious beings that were put in this reality with purpose for a reason, you know, to tend for this plane, to do the work to take care of everything that was created. And there is this force trying to distract us and detach us and as I said, as adults coming from Gen Z, maybe even um, I'm on the cusp of, not Gen Z, Gen X. Gen X, yeah. And millennials, I'm right in the cusp there. Some people might argue I might be a millennium, right? Don't say that. <laughs> I don't say that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, really protecting our kids, I feel like because they won't have the experience that we had growing up outside. Yeah, we were outside all all the time riding our bikes.
0: Yeah, we didn't have the pull of all these forces. Meeting
2: with our friends, um, in real time. And I we just had a play date a few weeks ago. We had a little buddy of one of our sons, and they wanted to play a video game. and And his little friend says yes because. This is boring. I mean, the video game is so much more exciting than anything we could do here. And he's only 12 years old. And I just couldn't believe with how he said that with such conviction. And I think my heart broke a little bit. A little bit. At that point, because I know that little boy has parents that really tried to limit screen time. And even then, I mean, it's it's a tough battle that we're facing. How do we compete? Um, compete.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: How do we compete with two dimensional reality? Yeah, you know, when it seems like three dimension, everything in the third dimension takes so long to come <laughs> to to manifest. Mm-hmm. You know, but. I feel like the third dimension is where it's at. There's God's creation, and the eyes, second dimension. And I feel like you know, duality, ones and zeros, is not where, where it's at. What we're meant to be.
0: Well, hey, you know, there's one clip I wanted to play here. I cut it down a little bit. Um, Dr. Sam Bailey, uh, who we've talked about in the past around the uh, no virus debate, uh, her and her husband have been big voices in on that front, um, you know, that they are uh, people who got mainstream medical degrees and then knew something didn't feel right. They, they started to look into it and now they are really spearheading the uh, messaging and the work to look through what virology has supposedly built up uh, to kind of call out some of its uh, um, weaknesses. And so she actually created this video. It's a little, it's, it's, it's a couple months or a few months old. It's actually from uh, the very tail end of January. Uh, So chat GPT had only been out at that point a couple of months. Um, And so she, so it's probably actually, um, you know, it's evolved since then, but I thought she had some really interesting takes here. And so, uh, you know, this is about uh, 15 minutes or so, but, but um, uh, I I think it really uh, ties in some of those, the the past stuff that we've talked about and then some of the stuff that we've talked about today. And then uh, we'll come back right at the tail end and kind of wrap up our thoughts on that. Okay.
3: Which brings us to AI, or Artificial Intelligence. Personally, I don't think there is such a thing. There is only one intelligence in our world, and any claims to simulate it are in the same category as claims to simulate life and the life force. It is the dream of the technocrats to develop so-called super intelligence and transhumanism, which are the false gods that they idolize. In any case, the attempts to simulate intelligence have been underway for some time. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary states that artificial intelligence is 1. A branch of computer science, dealing with the simulation of intelligent behavior in computers. 2. The capability of a machine to imitate intelligent human behavior. Perhaps the crucial word here is imitate, as we shall see. I realize that the arguments surrounding AI have become complex. But to us, the underlying limitation is that machines can never be humans. As explained by Ludwig von Mises in his books such as Human Action, humans act through ordinal preference and those preferences cannot be calculated or predicted through equations. Progress and breakthroughs spring from human spontaneity, not from algorithms and protocols. It is one of the flaws of the Skynet concept in the Terminator franchise.
2: The system goes online on August 4th, 1997. Human decisions are removed from strategic defense. Skynet begins to learn at a geometric rate.
0: It becomes self-aware at 2.14am Eastern Time, August 29th. In a panic, they try to pull the plug.
2: Skynet fights back.
0: Yes, it launches its missiles against the targets in Russia.
4: Why attack Russia? Aren't they now?
2: Because Skynet knows that the Russian counter-attack will eliminate its enemies over here.
3: Apart from self-aware nonsense, why did Skynet have a preference to eliminate humanity? Someone must have programmed various factors into the system and given them cardinal values for it to reach this quote, decision or a rogue programmer simply set it to eliminate humanity. Perhaps if it had been programmed differently, Skynet would have made ponies and cupcakes for everyone. The point is that the origin of our preferences and creativity is not a matter of more powerful computers or programs. The latter vehicles can only imitate the input from humans. And this is where we get to asking AI about viruses. The platform we put the questions to was OpenAI's chatbot, ChatGBT. Now to be clear, the creators are not claiming that it is the current arbiter of truth and the website states, ChatGBT sometimes writes plausible sounding but incorrect or nonsensical answers. Fixing this issue is challenging as during reinforcement learning training, there's currently no source of truth. Hmm, that's different from what we've been told in New Zealand. We will continue to be your single source of truth Yes, this who is the source of truth business is likely to cause some issues, but here we go. ChatGBT. do viruses exist?
4: Yes, viruses exist. They are submicroscopic infectious agents that can replicate only inside the living cells of an organism. They can cause a wide range of diseases in humans and animals, as well as in plants and other organisms.
3: So it has produced a loose definition of a virus and categorically declared that they exist. Let's see if it can back this up. What are your sources for the above?
4: As a language model, I do not have the capability to access external sources. The information I provided is based on general knowledge and understanding of the subject that has been built into my programming. The information I provided is widely accepted by the scientific community and can be found in many reputable sources such as textbooks, scientific journals, and websites.
3: So we are straight into the limitations of what has been built into its programming. It says that this is based on what is widely accepted by the scientific community. In other words, it is providing answers derived from the appeal-to-popular-belief logical fallacy. The quote reputable sources also have to be defined by the programmers. They would have to be rather naive or disingenuous to claim that the sources, such as scientific journals and political institutions, are impartial and not under the direct influence of industry participants. Have viruses been isolated?
4: Yes viruses have been isolated. The process of isolating a virus involves identifying and purifying the virus from a mixture of other microorganisms and cellular material. This is typically done by infecting a host organism with the virus and then using techniques such as cell culture, centrifugation, and electron microscopy to separate the virus from the host cells and other contaminants. The isolated virus can then be used for further studies, including research on the virus's structure, replication, and pathogenesis. Isolation of virus is one of the important steps in the study of virus, as it allows us to study the properties of virus, understand the replication mechanism, and also can be used for vaccine development.
3: The AI is simply giving the definition of what isolation might be said to be by a virologist, not what actually happens in reality. The mention of, quote, purifying the virus is curious, as this implies the physical isolation of the so-called virus particles, which is an embarrassing problem typically omitted by virologists these days. However, it gives us an opportunity to press the chat GBT a little further. Define virus purification.
4: Virus purification is the process of separating and isolating a specific virus from a mixture of other microorganisms and cellular material. This is typically done by infecting a host organism with the virus and then using a combination of physical and chemical methods to separate the virus particles from the host cells and other contaminants. The methods used for virus purification can vary depending on the type of virus and the type of host cells being used. Some common methods include centrifugation, ultracentrifugation, chromatography, precipitation.
3: ChatGBT has defined virus purification and listed some of the experimental techniques that have been attempted over the past century. Time to find out whether it will claim they have been successful in this pursuit. Which viruses have been purified?
4: Many different types of viruses have been purified using various methods. Some examples include poliovirus. This virus was one of the first to be purified and characterized using ultracentrifugation and electron microscopy in the 1950s. Influenza virus. This virus has been purified using methods such as centrifugation, precipitation, and chromatography. HIV, the virus that causes AIDS has been purified using methods such as ultracentrifugation, centrifugation, centrifugation, and chromatography. Hepatitis B virus, this virus has been purified using methods such as ultracentrifugation and chromatography. Herpes simplex virus. This virus has been purified using methods such as ultracentrifugation, centrifugation, and chromatography. Coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, has been purified using methods such as ultracentrifugation, centrifugation, and chromatography. These are just a few examples, Many other viruses have been purified by scientists using various methods. The purification of viruses is an important step in the study of these microorganisms as it allows scientists to understand the properties of the virus, its replication mechanism and also can be used for vaccine development.
3: Now the chat GBT is being a naughty bot and making things up. We know from our extensive investigations into this topic that no particles that have been successfully purified have then been shown to fulfil the properties of a virus. Once again, it is unable to provide the scientific source material for these claims and simply repeats unfounded statements that it has been programmed to classify as reliable. Let's try a different tact. Who
4: is Dr. Stefan Lenka? Dr. Stefan Lanka is a German virologist who is notable for his controversial claims that the measles virus does not exist. He has published a number of articles and books in which he argues that the measles virus has never been scientifically proven to exist and that the symptoms of measles are caused by other factors, such as vaccination or poor nutrition. Dr. Lanka's claims have been widely criticized by the scientific community including experts in the field of virology, who argue that there is overwhelming evidence that the measles virus does exist and that it causes the symptoms of measles. Dr. Lanka's claims have been rejected by most of the scientific community. His views are not supported by mainstream science and not accepted by scientific organizations. It's worth noting that Dr. Lanka has lost a court case in Germany where he had to prove his claims, where he was unable to provide any scientific evidence for his views on the measles virus and the court ruled that his Claims were not true.
3: Once again, ChatGBT makes appeals to popular belief and appeals to authority. It also incorrectly reports on the Lanka measles court case, and like the mainstream media, deceptively omits the fact that Stefan eventually won his case in the higher court, where it was declared that none of the measles papers that were presented followed the scientific method. You can check out my videos, The Measles Myth and Stefan Lanker, virus, it's time to go for coverage of this case. The responses of ChatGBT for topics such as virology put it in the category of a lazy person's Wikipedia or fact-checking site. On that note we asked it about reliable fact-checking organisations and its profit list was rather amusing. It declared that factcheck.org, PolitiFact and Snopes are known for their accuracy and impartiality. James Colbert provided some satirical coverage of the fact-checking scheme last year and couldn't pick which of them was putting out the fakest stories. And the loser
0: is...
5: All of them. That's right. We can get this from Anthony Watts, who had this article up in December of 2021. Bombshell. In court filing, Facebook admits fact-checks are nothing more than opinion. John Stossel is suing Facebook after Facebook's fact checkers labeled climate change information that Stossel posted as false and misleading. In the middle of all this is the nefarious website Climate Feedback, which has a bunch of climate zealots that write up what they claim are fact checks for articles, videos, and news stories they disagree with. Facebook just blew the fact check claim right out of the water in court. In its response to Stossel's defamation claim, Facebook responds on page 2, line 8 in the court document, downloaded below, that Facebook cannot be sued for defamation, which is making a false and harmful assertion, because its fact checks are mere statements of opinion rather than factual assertions. Opinions are not subject to defamation claims, while false assertions of fact can be subject to defamation. The quote in Facebook's complaint is, the labels themselves are neither false nor defamatory. To the contrary, they constitute protected opinion. So in a court of law, in a legal filing, Facebook admits that its fact checks are not really fact checks at all, but merely opinion assertions. That's right, folks. Always remember, fact checks are not statements of fact. They are opinions that are being funded by billionaires and promoted by big tech for the defense Of their political and corporate chieftains.
3: So again, we see massive bias from ChatGBT. On one hand, it produced disingenuous and negative coverage of Stefan Lanker by omitting important facts. Then, on the other hand, it produced positive coverage of fact-checking platforms by crucially omitting that they are merely opinion pieces and hence may not be subject to libel claims, even when they are clearly incorrect. We tested it on several other similar topics and its answers were depressingly mainstream and laced with propaganda. ChatGPT simply regurgitates virtually all of the major narratives that are being propagated currently Its answers will probably be convincing if the user believes that government and mainstream media and its corporate overlords are trying to provide them with accurate information. But is ChatGPT completely useless? Surprisingly no. It can actually be quite an incredible tool when used for certain topics. For example, I had a website issue that was proving difficult to resolve even with the help of very knowledgeable IT friends. I asked ChatGBT what the problem might be and within minutes it provided the solution. Likewise if your car has an issue, just let Chatbot know the make and model and it quickly gets to the most likely solution. So called AI can be brilliant when it is dealing with man-made constructs such as computer programs or cars or films. In fact it will probably be the greatest Trivial Pursuit player you have ever seen, however it cannot and I believe will never be able to think outside the square. When it comes to topics involving the natural world, such as viruses, or topics such as economics or politics, it remains as indoctrinated and biased as its creators and programs. And when it comes to creativity, all AI can do is mimic. When ChatGBT was asked to produce a song written in the style of Nick Cave, it quickly obliged. However, Nick Cape was less than impressed with the result, stating ChatGBT may be able to write a speech or an essay or a sermon or an obituary, but it cannot create a genuine song. It could perhaps in time create a song that is, on the surface, indistinguishable from an original, but it will always be a replication, a kind of burlesque. Songs arise out of suffering. By which I mean, they are predicated upon the complex internal human struggle of creation. And, well as far as I know, algorithms don't feel. Data doesn't suffer. The people who should be nervous about AI replacing them are mainstream journalists, many doctors and lawyers, most teachers, and all bureaucrats. AI is even better at following protocols without question than they are, and will never ask for a pay rise. The technology will also be able to produce convincing-sounding essays for students who are expected to obediently regurgitate doctrine. In fact, it appears that it is already being employed for this purpose. Like a savant who can recite pi to 20,000 decimal places, AI is a neat trick but cannot escape the limitations of its masters. Use it to find the bugs in your computer's operating system but realise that with the big questions, such as the existence of viruses, it is constrained by its own form of indoctrination. Although AI was not a prominent conversation topic during his lifetime, we can find in the writings of Ludwig von Mises that he had covered these themes. I believe that his timeless wisdom encompasses why AI will not be a source of creativity and innovation, as it can only operate within what has already been developed. It is not generally realized that education can never be more than indoctrination, with theories and ideas already developed. Education, whatever benefits it may confer, is transmission of traditional doctrines and valuations. It is by necessity conservative. It produces imitation and routine, not improvement and progress. Innovators and creative geniuses cannot be reared in schools. They are precisely the men who defy what the school has taught them. The creative genius is at variance with his fellow citizens. As the pioneer of things new and unheard of, he is in conflict with their uncritical acceptance of traditional standards and values. In his eyes, the routine of the regular citizen, the average or common man, is simply stupidity. If you enjoyed this video, All right. please visit supportdrsam.com.
0: Okay, so Fabi, what did you think? I, I really liked how she ended that with the the uh, Ludwig von Mises quotes because, uh, you know, it's like the, the person who is reared uh, in the educational system is not the innovator. You know, it, it, you, you have to go against the grain, and, and the challenge with the the uh, chat GPT is it, it only exists within, like you said earlier, the box.
2: Mm-hmm. It's funny. Did you see how New Zealanders say, uh, think outside the box? She no. Said, she said, think outside the square. The square. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was
5: adorable.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so as we were saying, you know, limitations, uh, The the AI is conditioned by its own form of indoctrination. So we, uh, you know, may have a stalemate there because uh, if we look for news only online and we forget about books that were written, you know, 100 years ago, for example, books uh, regarding the law back then. Uh, Black's law are very good to have in your library. yeah, uh, I used to be the person I was like, "Ah, oh, we don't need books anymore. they're heavy. It's hard to move. <laughs> and now I'm like, okay, like we do need books. So I'm collecting quite the library here in the house uh, because I want my kids to be able to have that information yeah that once you know was somewhat accurate and now is just pure indoctrination. So I think, like, just to sum, we've had many guests on the show by now. And we usually ask them the questions, you know, what is this reality all about? What is their take? And I think most of them have said, you know, how do, how do we know the reality that we observe is real? And I think having that presence, right, being the observer is one way and the other the other two ways i feel are very important is using our hands and and being creative. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, uh i felt like we we summed that up pretty good. All right. So, you know, everybody don't forget if you want to join the conversation, jump in at the Collective Resistance podcast on Telegram. You can also follow again. I don't do too much on Twitter, but uh, at TCRP12, uh, if you want to follow there, I announce new episodes. Um, and uh, what else? I'm trying to think. Uh, what we're we're I think this is midway point on season nine, so I think we're sitting at about 85 episodes here. Or so, so uh, we've got some some big plans for some additional stuff, which we will clue you in as we further develop that. And uh, with that said, Fabi, what do you want to tell everybody?
2: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy, stay safe, stay curious.